So, hello. Thank you for coming on. Thanks for having me. I was blown away seeing you play. A couple months ago at the Eastside Bowl, you guys were in the lounge area, the front room. You were playing with Eddie Angel, right? That's the man. Yeah, and it was phenomenal. I was uh, super excited to see someone doing Slaughter on 10th Avenue, which is not typically a track that I hear when I go out to see a band in Nashville. Um, and you just played a couple of other tracks. I was kind of pissed at the time because I was waiting for the, the lounge, the food, and we were waiting forever because our friends, The Reveal, were playing there. Yeah. And But I got sucked into watching like you guys play because it was amazing. Well, thank you. Yeah, it was cool. People were dancing, all of that. Oh, yeah, well, that's, that's a cool room. They call it the uh, low-volume lounge at the East Side Bowl, and uh, it's not low-volume we're playing in, I'm afraid. Yeah. It's okay volume. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but the fact that you mentioned Slaughter on 10th Avenue uh, got my attention. Yeah. Not, not many people mention that. Oh, dude. Yeah. I'm, I'm a nerd when it comes to, to surf rock for sure. Uh, I got into it. Probably the first surf rock song I heard was Wipeout by the Safaris. Mm -hmm. It was in the Sandlot. Do you know the movie The Sandlot? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Sure. And then, as I got older, getting into Quentin Tarantino and Pulp Fiction, and that soundtrack was kind of my first exposure. There was this great record store in the town that I grew up in in Maine called Bull Moose. Um, and it, it was similar to McKay's, but there was many of them, and they were all smaller than McKay's. Mm. Um, so you would go in and... My town was like a college town as well, so there was all these kids that would that were going to school that were from other places, and they would trade in their music because oh, well, they were broke. We share a similar uh, upbringing. Then. Really? Yeah, Ann Arbor, yeah, okay. University of Michigan. Nice. What, yeah. What, what what university was in your town? Bowdoin. Uh, Bowdoin. So it's like a. It's not an Ivy League school. It, what I always heard was whoever got rejected from Ivy League schools went there. That's what I heard about the University of Michigan. Really? Except they would they would they would like never that characterization. It. Yeah. It's such a you know high level school, thousands and thousands of kids. Danny, is that where um, Wolfpack? That is that's where they went to school, right? Uh, I think it was University of Michigan. Yeah, that's the Wolverines, the largest football stadium in the world. There was 14,000 people there when the guy built it in, the, like, 1910 or something. It's, oh, wow. It's called the Big House. It was a 110,000-seater. Wow. That's called forward thinking. Yeah. Yeah, so it's, you know, a football nightmare there. And this is, but it was a great place for music. What was it like growing up in Ann Arbor? What was the music scene like? Well, funny you should ask. I was just watching a great documentary on Detroit and Ann Arbor. Um, a lot of the Detroit musicians lived in Ann Arbor. There was the MC5 house. There was the Stooges house. They were all on campus. Um, that's where John Lennon came to free John Sinclair, the manager of the MC5. That's where they had the concert. You know, he was a political prisoner. That was where the uh, White Panther Party was and the Rainbow People, which were um, affiliated with the Black Panther Party. It was, a, it was a revolutionary place full of hippies. And whenever there's a lot of hippies, though I'm not really very fond of hippies, not to offend any hippies, it's just not my thing. Yeah. One thing I can say about them that's good is they really like music. And it was yeah. a great artistic environment to grow up in. There was um, blues and jazz festivals that read like, and again, John Sinclair was involved with that too, that read like somebody made it up. And I, and I just, on my page, on one of the socials, I just shared another one of the posters it's just ridiculous. Um, I mean, I could look at it and tell you, but it was a great music town to grow up. I, I grew up with the Stooges as the big kids. and uh, Breast their souls, they're all gone. Same with all of the MC5, except for Wayne Kramer. I didn't know Wayne. He was in prison in the 70s. Really? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, uh, but it, the blues and the jazz and the, and the traditional country and surf, all that happened in our town. It was a microcosm, and the bands didn't even have to go on the road. It was a little like what we have here in Nashville, only it wasn't insanity. And yeah. tour, it wasn't tourist land. It yeah, was just yeah. sort of an artistic musical place. Was your city uh, similar musically? No. Uh, you know, there, there's some parallels just because... So it used to be a military town. My dad was in the Navy, so that's how we had ended up there. We moved up there when I was a kid. I was born down in Florida, 
but we had moved up there when I was a kid. And um, so there was a lot of influence from that. There's also this place called Bath Ironworks, which is one city above us in Bath, Maine. That's where they build destroyers at. Cool. Like battleships. <laughs> so everybody's yeah. dad worked in the Union, uh, probably similar to where you're from. So I think anytime that kind of happens, suburbia in general, there's like excess, excess funds, we'll say in air quotes, for, for luxuries like kids playing music. Yeah. So I got to play music and um, – Band in school, I was in band, I hated it. My band teacher didn't really like me. It's funny looking back as a kid, looking at adults, and you're like, that person was just an asshole. You know what I mean? Um, so he was just, he kind of didn't like me because I was a, a rock and roll musician. And I was always interested in reading music and in everything like that, but no one ever really sat it down to explain it to me until... Later in high school, when I had this teacher named Matt Fogg, and he kind of, like, took me under his wing. And this was outside of school. This was, like, a program, like, similar to School of Rock here in Nashville. Um, but he was the first person to tell him, like, ask me, do you know who James Jamerson is? And I was like, no. And he's like, listen to him. Check him out. Um, so I got exposed through music that way, and I got to play with a bunch of older musicians, and I was just playing a lot. And, uh, yeah, that's kind of how I got started was a bass player right from the jump. That's all I ever wanted to do. Well, you'll you'll work more in this town. I'm a guitarist in Nashville, and uh, let's just say there's some competition. Yeah. The only thing worse is going to be as a songwriter, and, of course, I'm sure we both do that, too. Yeah. I finally got a song placed, but it happened while I was out of town. Um, yeah, so other guys from Ann Arbor, um, Bob Seeger. Yeah. Bill Kirch and, and Iggy, I both have I both graduated the same year from uh, the Ann Arbor High School. Uh, Bill Kirch and Commander Cody was Lost Planet Airmen. They're still out there. And, uh, of course, just uh, 15 miles uh, to the west is Ted Nugent's compound where he gets to shoot things. Oh, <laughs> shit. Okay. Yeah, but nice. I'll tell you, there was it was night and day between the, the, the white rock and rollers and the... Uh, and the Motown and the Black Artists, they, they, those guys were jazz dudes. You know, they really knew how to play. You mentioned James Jameson. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. for sure. But you yeah. know that the, they came together a little later with guys like George Clinton, yeah. who was also there. Yeah. And the, who took both things and, and made this. And they were all on acid, too. Everybody was on drugs. Let's just yeah. get that on, off the thing. So, yeah, it was, a, it was a great place to grow up. And I'm, I'm thinking about it a lot, not just because I watched a, a Docu two documentaries today. Yeah. I guess I had the day off. <laughs> but, you know, the fact that I, I played rockabilly and surf and, and, and jazz and blues and things like that, and people didn't really get the rockabilly thing up there much. I mean, some did. There's a scene all over the world, but I never had to explain what I did once I moved to Nashville. Nobody asked me, well, what, do you, what is that you're doing? <laughs> Nobody yeah. ever asked me that. So, and it, it's nice when somebody can identify a particular song, which to me isn't even obscure. Yeah. No, it's, it's a surf rock hit in my opinion. Um, yeah, no, it's, it, it was, it was really great to, to see you guys play. I, you had given me this, this CD here, um, instrumental dynamite, Chris right. Casello trio. Let's just show that on cam for a sec. You said it's 10 year anniversary. Yeah. Of this? Yeah. There's this guy called Jam and James. James Riley has a, has a radio show. It's been on for quite some time. And he just featured it as a 10-year anniversary. It didn't even dawn on me that it's been 10 years. Um, I put out other records since. I, I had an act um, with a woman named Tammy Savoy um, in Chicago. And we made a, also a live, we made several records of that. We had a record deal in Australia, Spain, and New England. <laughs> and let's see, what else did I put out? Uh, we did some 45s, we did some vinyl, and then uh, there's a Live at Roberts CD, or the trio. But this, uh, we have a new instrumental record coming out, and it was an epiphany. It's called Surf and Hayride. And years ago, years ago, I thought to myself, you know, there's all these records I really dig, like uh, Roy Clark, Jimmy Bryant, um, the Ventures Country record, which is my favorite Ventures record. I don't think I've listened to that It's one. called... The Ventures play country favorites. And it, it's just rocks. You know, the yeah. thing is rocking, but they're, it's totally them. Their arrangements are great on there of just the really standard country tunes of the 1960s and 50s. And I said, you know, there's this whole world of, of instrumental stuff with 
the twist beat. Yeah. And nobody did. Why not do a bit? Not surf a Billy. All right. That's just sloppy shit. But to do something like that, like that early 60s, Glenn Campbell instrumentals, all these guys who did this thing. And I just, it was a simple idea, but it, it, until you articulate it, it's just a bunch of noise in your head. So I took Eddie out to lunch and I said, I, I want to do a surf country record. I don't want to do a, a country instrumental record with all these amazing musicians like uh, Buddy Spiker or people like that. They make great instrumental country records. Yeah. And Buddy Emmons and all these amazing jazz, bluegrass. No, no. We're going to do something stupid, and it's going to be great. And I say that in the best possible way. You know, like we play Suspicious Minds and with a sit, oh. with a sitar. Hell yeah. That's you know, really and cool. things like that. And we've got a spaghetti western version of, well, I can't really let the cat out of the bag because I don't want anybody scooping me on this. But we would take these songs and we play most, mostly melody and turn them into surf with the twist beat. But and then a few originals or we would take a song and make that country which was more rock like we do she's a woman and i play it like jerry reed might have played it we, okay. we mix it with the claw yeah that's cool <laughs> but i the other stuff you know that's that's all i'm going to tell you about it it's it's uh called surfing hayride with eddie angel well it's actually three or two of the original straight jackets and jared manzo bass player local guy everybody hires him you'll run into him sooner or later but you're a bass player you yeah. might not run into another bass player yeah. on, a, on a gig. <laughs> Jared's great, and uh, Luca is the other one. So uh, it's either Luca or Jared on these gigs. And, nice. And that's the thing, yeah. Hell yeah. That's, that's the record. That's awesome. Yeah, well, it's like you look at something like Walk, Don't Run by The Ventures. That was originally a Chet Atkins song, right? Johnny Smith. Johnny Smith, okay. But Chet did it too. I, the, Johnny Smith and Chet were giants of instrumental guitar stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. I, I've always loved um, Johnny Smith. He he did Moonlight in Vermont, right? That was a that was his big record. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I finally figured out how to voice those chords. <laughs> They're huge stretches. Yeah. I, piano voicings. I, I kind of did a, a deep dive on him the other night, just looking at his his history, and uh, he has such a beautiful like upbringing. I think he was in Maine for a time too. But he, um, he was like the NBC band director for a minute before he, really? yeah, before he started doing, that. like, getting record deals to do his own music. He's, he, Colorado Springs is where he lived, and you yeah. know who took Kenny Vaughn, our buddy Kenny Vaughn, um, the guitarist with the Superlatives, Marty Stewart's mm-hmm. band, and top session guy here in town, good, good buddy. That's who he took guitar lessons from as a kid. I'm like, oh shit! I nice. know. Yeah, Colorado Springs. I guess he. Uh, what I remember him telling me is his dad said, "You're gonna listen to a real guitar player, get lessons from." Him. He's definitely a real guitar yeah, player. Yeah, you know, we all kind of came from punky roots and rock mm-hmm. and roll. I think. When did you first move to Nashville? Um, well, '03, but it's a little sketchy. Same with the, my my move away sh- short period of time because I had so many things going in Detroit. You know, agents, um, casinos, clubs, multiple bands, and a huge student uh, clientele. I was real successful at teaching. That's before there was YouTube and all and True Fire and all yeah, these things. Yeah. I, and you know, I still teach a bit, but that was I was making a good living playing music and when that finally happens it's a good feeling isn't it yeah yeah it's like well maybe i wasn't crazy maybe you can do this well, everyone t- will tell you you can't yeah it's it's tough because you take a gamble on yourself and it's so much up and down and up and down and just staying the course and not really deviating from the path <laughs> yeah yeah and you got to have a girlfriend for a while Oh, everybody's delivered a few pizzas, I think. But, oh, yeah. uh, I, you know, once I didn't have to work anymore, I was. Uh, it was very difficult for me to, to leave all those things and then start over. I wasn't young, either. Um, it was crazy. But I got to say, my my ex wife could tell that I was enjoying putting on my tuxedo. You know, being an Italian, <laughs> I was enjoying putting on the tuxedo and playing. Uh, you know, lounge gigs a little much. She's saying, "No, nah, it's not who I married. You know, you're a rock and roller." So she moved us down there, and she knew I'd done country, too. So she moved me down there, and I just hit the wall. It was just a, you know, everybody's a big fish from a little pond. 
And then they get Absolutely. down to the big pond, and there's 10,000 working musicians all vying for similar positions, and some of them just jumping for scraps, you know. So yeah. that was weird. I never, was it r- rough when you first got here? I felt like that. I, it took me, took me a while. Yeah. I couldn't make a living, so I would keep, I guess my point was, I was on the road, too. You know, I was, I was a touring musician, so we would come through Nashville, get great gigs, make money. Our songs were on the radio, and then when I moved here, it's like nothing. You know, uh, crickets. It's so competitive. Yeah, well, yeah. no one knows you yet, and when no one knows you, no one w- really wants to mess with you when you first move to town. It's well, like you have to create a reputation for yourself. Yeah, and they um, got to learn the rules, and there's more rules now yeah. than ever. Really? Oh, yeah. This honky-tonk school and these agencies that handle, you know, these tip gigs. I mean, it's, it's different now. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't know about any of that. I feel like uh, I'm just kind of out of it. I just get a call sometimes to go play down. And when I moved to Nashville, I think for better or worse, I was so headstrong in what I wanted to do because I started the podcast after I got here. And, of course, I've taken gigs necessarily that I don't want to play, but um, I've always just tried to stick to my guns as hard as it is. Well, that's good because when I got here, everybody was playing like Brent Mason on guitar. Everybody wanted that, and I could kind of do that. But I had all this rockabilly stuff going on, and I like Les Paul and Charlie Christian and all these. Everybody likes Chet. But, you know, I had a little bit more esoteric, um, rootsy background. I really like T-Bone Walker, Chuck. Barry, those are my guys. Yeah. Yeah, so it took me a long time of, of, of actually getting here all the way because I kept going back home to make money. And that's not, a, I'm not an anomaly. A lot of people do that. I, I know could, people who do that here I now. Could, I could yeah. go back for the weekend, put a thousand or something in my pocket, sometimes even more, you know, maybe. And then come back and my first gig here, I made 20 bucks. I'm like, what am I doing here? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's rough. <laughs> like it's the, not that bad now. The way that I kind of like came up first playing in Nashville was I was playing at Blues Jams just to get familiar with players, for people to know me, all that. Met a bunch of friends, started playing more so in East Nashville. And, um, you know, the East Nashville gigs, they don't really – don't really pay yeah, anything. Yeah, those are the low-paying ones. Yeah, yeah. 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 It's like you're, you're lucky to get 20 bucks a Got to go down into the fray if you want to. Mm-hmm. For sure. But, yeah, so what was the experience, like what was Broadway like when you first got here? Well, like I said, we used to tour through here. My first visit was in 95, and it was different. But BR549, I think, was just starting. They're the ones who really started the transition. Um and I got to play with them for a, for a trip to Sweden once. Anyway, um, yeah, it was sketchy. It was sketchy. It was a rough area down there. Yeah. Um, the Hard Rock Cafe was there. I think I went there. You know, I went to like maybe Skulls or something um, up in the what was it, Printers Printers Alley. Alley. Yeah. Right. I went there, but I never go there <laughs> anymore. I think I'd like to because I'm really into blues. And I, that's what I did in Detroit a lot, but I just haven't. And there's a lot thing, a lot of things to do here. So um, yeah, it was it was uh, it was different. Yeah, I, I have a vivid memory of visiting here when I was a kid. I was probably maybe eight or so when I came to see my aunt and uncle, and we had driven through Nashville and we went down to Broadway, and there used to be a carousel down at the very end of Broadway, and there hmm. was a NASCAR cafe. I think that's where Jason Aldean's is now. Do you know what I'm talking I about? Know, you... I don't remember the NASCAR cafe, but what what year would that have been? That might have been it might have been before you moved to town. It might have been like ninety eight or ninety nine. Yeah. So I was playing around then. I didn't get yeah. here until about two thousand three. Yeah. That's when I moved here. You know. It looks yeah. like it shut its jo- <clears throat> its doors in two thousand one, I think. Okay. Shutters down Nashville. Damn, I just missed it. Yeah, just yeah. missed it. But yeah, they had like NASCARs <laughs> hanging inside, like full sta- like scale stock cars. Yeah, it was um, only open for three years. Yeah. Uh, well, that should have worked. <laughs> I, I just, I have that vivid memory of, uh, of visiting here and not really knowing much about it. And then as a teenager, you know, we, we came... We would come maybe every couple of years because my grandfather lived in East Tennessee. 
So we do the whole Tennessee run. And I remember going to Opryland, like the Opry Mills Mall, before the flood came through. There used to be like a, a Gibson there. And they were working maybe on some mandolins or something like that. And I always remember I saw this really cute girl that worked at this candy store there. Before the flood came through, you're 20. 11? Uh, yeah, it was 2010 that the flight came through. Right. So I was probably, this was maybe 2007 or 2008. But yeah, it's, it's, I have these random memories of Nashville before it is what it is now. Because it's so hustling and bustling and traffic is bullshit and whatever. Everybody, everybody always complains. All the stuff everybody complains Everybody about. complains. Yeah. Everybody's but, making money. Yeah. It's the it town. Let me tell you what's best about it. The food. Really? There wasn't any food here. You know, the people who live here, I'm already offended you. I know. It's like, no, it was better in the old days. Yeah, you know, meat and threes, we miss a lot of them, but there's still a lot of meat and threes. For those of you who don't know what a meat and three is, it's not an orgy. It's meat. You get your meat, your chicken, your pork chop, and three sides or two. Yeah. And then they had great barbecue, which I would dream of. I we couldn't wait to get back here. Uh, and there's... Still great barbecue. That's that's happening. There's still some meat and threes, but there's there's a food culture. My favorite pizza is in Nashville. I lived in Chicago and Detroit. My What's favorite, your favorite pizza? Is that something I should advertise? Absolutely, 100%. I mean, if you want All to. All right. I just bought the uh, East Precinct Detectives five five-point pizzas. I bought yeah. them a stack of pizzas for solving one of my crime. <laughs> it wasn't my crime. I was the... Victim, but uh, yeah, so that's that bought them my favorite pizzas. It's uh, five points, one I, block from my home. I love the uh, the meatball and onion, yeah, I'll go for that, yeah, yeah, that's my, that's my favorite thing to get there whenever they have it. So, what happened with this crime? Oh, you want to talk about the crime? Yeah, yeah let's get into All it. All right, well, just uh, yeah, so you know, Nashville's better now, but uh, East Nashville, our first trips to East Nashville, um, it was. You know, in the not late 90s, I mean, it was desolate. It was a, considered a blighted slum. The first tornado came through, and FEMA money turned it around. And then, like I said, in 03, I came down, and it was, it was easy to buy property if you were a musician. And things were cheap. I actually owned two homes. One, one of them has appeared on Property Brothers now. <laughs> it's, wow. it's millions. And, you know, we didn't pay anything for it. And so, anyway... Um, but the thing is, this, the neighborhood that I live in, by the pizza joint we just described, is really expensive, um, old neighborhood. It's got and, beautiful homes, right? But it wasn't always that way. And I just survived the second tornado. I actually slept through it. You know about that yeah, one? Yeah, I was, I was from, living in East when that happened. Oh yeah, you were yeah. in it too. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 I used to live on Stratford. You know where Stratford Sure, I do. Yeah. Yeah. So I used to live on Stratford, and then I also lived on Baxter, which was right behind the Piggly Wiggly. Oh, oh. If you know where the Piggly I Wiggly is. I do. That, that's uh, Eastwood Neighbors. Yeah. I, that's where my house was. Oh, okay. Cool. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Well, well, anyway, I'm lucky enough to have a condo because <laughs> it's where I live. It's so, so expensive, you know, mansions. But uh, like we were saying, there's that weird. Um, thing where there was you know needles in the alleys and uh, meth crack whatever people do um there's a lot of that activity a lot of crime now mixed with the gentrifiers as the coffee shops start to appear and it's pretty nice now so i'm i've been out gentrified okay but i'm still there and i'm happy it's it, restaurants appearing all the time but there's still a bunch of homeless guys i can see them out my window going up and down the alley um so one of them got in my condo storage unit and got my, uh, I mean, the list of gear that they got is pretty darn long. And I've been in this business a long time. I'm a vintage guitar player and I play vintage stuff. They didn't get a lot of instruments. They got a 1949 uh, Gibson Grand Console steel guitar. They got a baritone guitar, but mostly vintage amps, a 63 Deluxe amp, Fender, 65 Princeton amp. Then um, soup, Supro, along with lots of fishing stuff, luggage, just all my tools, guitar parts for days, you know, like an eBay just haul. Yeah. Um, and they caught, uh, and I posted on Facebook a list of things that were missing. I couldn't even find everything that was missing. How did they get through a steel door with a bolt lock? I don't know. But I figured it out. So I was a mess. And we made the police reports, and they hit me again. 
I got hit twice in 24 hours. Oh, shit. That's when I said what you said, except I said it a little differently, and I was shaking. I was so so messed up. Now they've got my deluxe amp. They didn't get everything, but they got a lot in the second haul after the police report. Now I just feel like, you know, maybe I left the place unlocked. Maybe not, because I was painting stuff, doing thing like things that day i was making paint shelves and going up and down from the storage unit into the condo i bought another guitar that day you know this is the guy i am right and maybe i did but then it turned out this guy's been walking around with a, a pry bar and a screwdriver and it hit my friend's beauty salon around the corner so both halls were like twenty thousand dollars i say, well how the hell did somebody get all this stuff without a truck i couldn't figure it out and uh I got 2,000 shares on my Facebook post. And I got a call from a gentleman who I'll not mention his name, but I, I, he's like a music business lawyer, been around mm-hmm. forever. And he said, I saw a strange guy down at Weiss's Liquor, like a homeless guy or something, carrying a very strange case and, a, and an amplifier. And I made a mental note. He couldn't tell me anything about the guy, except he noticed how strange it was. Weiss's let me look at the footage. I told the um, detectives. Somebody pulls into the parking lot, buys both items for 40 bucks from Damn. the guy. Right. He, he was, was just looking for a quick score. Get, uh, probably about $6,000 worth of gear. Damn. If you could get, maybe, maybe I'm being a little rich, but maybe five. Yeah, <laughs> it was a yeah. lie. They got it for 40 bucks. And uh, he was, they caught him after he hit the, he, they'd been looking for him for a while. They caught him. They robbed the 7 Eleven. Uh, he was on a bike with a bunch of Twinkies. Damn. So two weeks ago, I'm in court saying, yeah, I don't know why I had to testify. I had serial numbers. And I got two of the items back. The two items that he had at the liquor store, I got back. Two days later, a guy down in Columbia was selling my amp. And uh, I know the guy who bought it. And again, name not mentioned. You might know him, too. He's a guitar player, plays the places we play. Okay. Sweet, sweet guy. And um, they knew the guy down in Columbia, so the sheriff's department the, the Facebook community, our community, our neighborhood got these things back. And I got insurance settlement, and they caught the guy. So I'm not going to get everything back, but, you know, I'm buying new stuff or new, yeah. old, new old stuff. Yeah. And there I was. You know, there's a guy in court, and he's a fentanyl addict, repeat offender. Oh, man. He got 10 years. Damn. Shit. Yeah, he was already on probation. So that's the story. Yeah. Closure. Damn, that's crazy. That yeah, it's a pretty good story. It's almost you know worth it. But no, I, I wouldn't live there through those six weeks again. I'm, I'm searching every pawn shop and trying, trying to just to, find your stuff. Yeah, and the cops not believing you at first. Yeah, something changed though. They totally believe me. That's why I bought them all the pizzas. Yeah, that's same good. with the Weiss guys. Yeah. Um, what uh, what are some of the guitars you play? Like, what's your main guitar that you play? Well, that's a good question. Yeah. What did you see me play? I think you played a Strat that night. Right, so that's one of those Strats. Um, early 80s reissues are the ones I like, just because I discovered how good they were in a lot of people. American or Japanese? Uh, well, the, they're AVRI uh, early 80s reissues. So that particular time, Fender rehired their pickup winders and got all the... Because they were set down in the dumps. People didn't like the 70s stuff. Yeah. So they brought back some of their old people and put out these reissue, and CBS was leaving now. So that little window of 82 to 84 is when you want to try to get a, a reissue guitar. Interesting. Yeah, I had one, and it got stolen. Well, I say it got stolen. I used to drink in those days. I might have left it on the street and cast at Corridor in Detroit. It just drove I don't know, but it, I didn't it have it. It disappeared. Right, and then that week I had to play with Martha Reeves and borrow a guitar. And was, anyway, another story. Um so yeah, those those guitars I like. Um, that's a that's a '57 reissue from that period. You know, I remember thinking to myself, if he brings up the Strat, I'm not going to talk about how nerdy <laughs> that particular that is guitar nerd shit right there. Uh, there's a lot of guitar <laughs> nerds that listen to this show. Oh, okay. Anyway, the, the guitar I bought the day all my stuff was stolen was a '65 SG from the guy who owns. Eastside Bowl, Chuck, oh, my buddy okay, Chuck. Cool. He was really upset. He goes, you're going to think my guitar is cursed. Oh, I love it. It's blue. It's a blue six, SG Special. 65 with the 64 nut. More nerd shit. Was that made <laughs> uh, made in Michigan? Yep. 
Nice. Yep, Kalamazoo. Yeah. Yeah, so I got a bunch of stuff. I work for TV Jones. Um, there's a lot of demos of me doing his stuff. TV Jones makes guitars and pickups for Gretsch and guys yep. like um, his big client is Brian Setzer. And Billy Gibbons likes his stuff too, but mm-hmm. every they're great pickups. Yeah. So, uh, and I play some Gretsches, um, but I also have the TV Jones guitars. And I'll be working with him at NAMM uh, in January. Nice. And so come on out and see us. And uh, what else do I play? Well, I've got uh, so I got a bunch of SGs, a couple SGs, uh, a few Strats, a lot of Tellys. I guess my main guitar you'll probably catch me on is a Telly. It's a little uninteresting here in Nashville. Yeah, <laughs> sure, say sure. To, but they're such workhorses. Yeah. And that's usually what I'm going to grab when I go out. Um my favorite one is a 72. I have a 72 Bigsby Telly that I've been playing for, for uh, since like 92, I think it was. Um, it works. It just works. It's just me. You know, because you got the Bigsby, so you've got that, that twang. You can, yeah, you can get the shimmer. And it's the real Bigsby. The Fender made Bigsby Tellys from like 64 to 74. Mm-hmm. Uh, not a lot of amazing people played them. Uh, Jack White told me he had a had one when he saw me playing his so he's pretty amazing you know he has a 68 and then uh uh wilson the other wilson played one from the beach boys uh not brian not dennis carl carl thank you yeah <laughs> yeah he played one of those one of the osmond brothers merrill osmond played one and i saw elvis playing one and that's all the guys i could think of that played bigsby tellies interesting yeah <laughs> Yeah. In one of his movies, yeah. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, I'm I'm a bit of a guitar geek myself, although I'm a bass player, but I, I worked at Wildwood Guitars in Colorado. I lived out there for oh, a yeah, year. Oh, yeah, I follow them. Yeah, and um, it was a great experience because I learned how to speak guitar player. It's its own language. Oh. Um, but all the different guys that worked at the store, they were an expert at something different, you know? Uh, so it was really cool to be able to be in that environment young and have them be like, this is what this is used for. This is what this kind of guitar is used for. Um, but yeah, it was cool. I, I really love Fender. I am forever loyal to Fender. My main bass, it's a 62 reissue Japanese P bass from 0304. Flat wounds exclusively. I only play flat wounds. Yeah, some about those flat wounds. Yeah. Yeah. And then I have a Mustang bass that's a Justin Melville Johnson signature model, Daphne Blue. I'm a sucker for the uh, the weirder vintage Fender colors, like the Daphne Blue. I used to have a Sonic Blue 65 jazz bass that I had to sell when I first moved to town because I had to pay rent. Oh, I don't think I've ever seen anything like that. Well, so I originally bought this bass, and it was in horrible condition. It was from a music store in my hometown in Maine. It was a place called the Music Center. I had opened the door. This dude walked out. I was the next person in. He just sold it. And I bought it for like 450 bucks, I think. But it was painted with like a paintbrush, so it looked real shitty. Plus the decal from the headstock was pulled. And then when I worked at Wildwood, I was like, I want to refinish this and get it redone and restore it a little bit. So I did it in Sonic Blue, matching headstock. The Fender rep was always in there because Wildwood does a lot of business with him. I told him I wanted to restore the bass, and I asked him if he can give me a decal. And he was like, yeah, just send me the, the neck pocket. Yeah, you can get decals. I have yeah. two I have two fakes. Yeah. Everybody thinks they're custom shop. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but and yeah. I, don't, I don't want the, the decal out of there. Really? No. Yeah. That's another good story with one of those, but... That sounds nice. So you refinned it. That's that explains. Yeah, yeah, it was it was cool. It was a great bass, but I'm I'm really not a jazz bass guy. But long story short, that was the first bass I ever played that had flat wounds on it because I bought it with the flat wounds on there. Um, I the dude knew I was like a, a serious player and all that, so he sold it to me at a really good price. Plus, it, it just looked like shit. But um, once I got it refinished, uh, it was it was great. It was a great bass, but I knew. It's like when you date someone and you're like, you're cool, but you're just not for me. That's what a jazz bass and is And then like they stay me. there for 10 years. <laughs> <laughs> I always have the opposite problem. I leave way too soon. But, uh, yeah, it was, a, it was I, a great, great instrument. I think about it sometimes, but we just weren't meant to be. Um, I'm a P-bass guy through and through. They're that different, huh? I think they're both the, the go-to bass, you know? Yeah, 
That's yeah. what I think, anyway. I yeah. Mean, you should have a Rick. You should have a P bass. You should have a jazz bass. Maybe even a Tele bass would be nice. Do you like those? I do like Tele basses. I don't own one. I would be open to owning one if um, the right one came along. Our our buddy Tristan Norfleet, he actually he has a Squire Tele bass that's really cool. I think it's like a 51 reissue. I can't remember what year it is, reissue. But it sounds good, and for a Squire, it actually feels good, too. I was like, this is a nice neck. Yeah. You bought a good instrument. I only have one bass, and it's super cool. What bass is it? It's a Decca. I don't even think I know what Decca is. Decca? Ever heard of Decca Records? Yeah. Yeah, sure you have. The uh, Decca guitars would be on display where there was a Decca Records display in a record store. They're Tesco's, or Tesco, however oh, you say Oh, okay, it. yeah. So I, find, I went to a garage sale, and this lady was selling a... Uh, a Tesco Del Rey guitar, mm-hmm. 150 bucks or something. So I went, I went over there, and she's selling everything. She's got a stocking cap on that says "Blessed," and she's taking pictures of my license plate. <laughs> she's selling everything in her house. And she's moving. <laughs> it was really weird. And if I'd been there a little earlier, I could have gotten uh, an early '60s McCartney bass. Oh, nice. Yeah, those are. Cool. But she had this deck of bass, and it exactly matched the Del Rey. It was, yeah, and they, it just had, it was in, both of them were in mint condition. How rare it is to find anything by Tesco that's mint. And yeah. I said, give me them both for 200 And she goes, okay. And it's, it's got the mute. It's got the, I put the flats on it. Percussive 67. It is so cool. So that's the only bass I have, and I record with it. But um, Is it uh, yeah. short scale? Yeah. 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 At whatever scale it is, it's not like a P bass. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh-huh. Yeah, I, I really like short scales. You can use a different vocabulary on them. My vernacular is different when I play. Yeah, well, uh, it's short scale. sure helps in guitar to have a little bit shorter scale, I'm finding. Yeah. I've got like an old Rickenbacker a 61 uh, 450 with a short scale. I can get all this stuff. And that sounds good. That, that's uh, Not a lot of people play those. Uh, George Harrison had one. Fred Sonic Smith played one. A lot of them 12-string versions. Um my Gretsch's. I have a 6120 that I bought at the guitar show down in, it's a 57. Okay, yes, I have a 57 6120. And I'm going to tell you, I was at the guitar show and I'm with my new wife before she was my wife. And I'm playing it at the show and she goes, you should buy that. I go, I should marry you. What woman goes to a guitar show, number one, with you? And second, tells you to buy a vintage guitar. It was all over. That was the, <laughs> maybe that wasn't the moment, but that was a, yeah. And then, of course, I had to put about a thousand into it. I had to have it redone completely. But that's another guitar you'll catch me playing a lot, especially doing the Rockabilly gigs. So I might show up with uh, the Gretsch and the Tele, or maybe I'll show up with the with the SG and the Tele, or the Strat and the Tele. There's, a, I usually have to have a Tele when we start pulling out the the country stuff. Mm-hmm. But I'm winning. I have a an old ES5. You know ES5s? Yeah. Yeah. Now I can get the out of phase, the T-bone stuff. I might. That's kind of valuable. Same with the Gratch. They're kind of valuable, so taking them down to Broadway isn't always a great call. Totally, yeah. But I'm lucky to play at Roberts. Can I do a plug? Roberts every Absolutely. Sunday night, every Tuesday night, 6 to 10, both times. 20 years playing uh, Sundays down there. So anyway, I um, and then I do other things too, but it's nice. The Broadway expects you to go on the road and to do other things, so you hopefully you can keep your gig. Uh, and then come back, mm-hmm. hopefully. <laughs> There's always somebody waiting. Yeah, there is always um, somebody waiting but, in the wings. Yeah, to bring those really nice. I do, though. I'll bring the vintage guitars down there because the, the tourists want to see stuff. Yeah. And we provide them with something different. Everything sounds, I, I don't want to diss anybody, but a lot of the clubs sound the same. We have these newfangled honky talks, Jason Aldean's, Kid Rocks is new, all these named after Luke Bryan, you know, all these yeah. new clubs. And the band's. There's agencies now that just handle it, and they all expect them to play the same songs. We don't go near that at Roberts. We don't come in. We play old. Well, I, as I say to the audience, you're not going to get anything from the 21st century. And then I play Twilight Zone, and I say, welcome to the 20th century with the echo on, you know. And I make some smart like remarks. <laughs> and they like it. You know, yeah. the, people want that old that old stuff. And that's the whole point of Roberts. Yeah. Well, it's just when people come to Nashville, I remember when I was an Uber driver, people would ask me, where can I go to actually hear country music? Because they would go down and a lot of people, they want to hear like Sweet Child of Mine and all that bullshit. And there's nothing wrong with that. Everything's got a time and a place. 
but they would ask me, so I'd always tell them Roberts, Nashville Palace, maybe Layla's. Um, but yeah, it's it's kind of interesting the the schism, the musical divide. Yeah, you know where they just booked me? The Four Seasons. The Four Seasons. What are they thinking? Anyway, it's great guarantee. Really swell guy. All glass, sixty foot season. The Four Seasons. Yeah. They're gonna, I'm gonna be down there playing, you know, greasy ass rockabilly. <laughs> and they're hiring other bands like us too. Are you even more into the blues world? So, That's awesome. Yeah. Can I plug those? Yeah, December absolutely. 16th and uh, 30th. Nice. Yeah, I think so. There's a new place that just opened that Danny and I went to last night. Um, shout out to Putt Shack. I don't, have you heard about this place? It's about to open here. Nope. It's a mini golf place, and they have music there. I'm not sure what style of music they're trying to book, but it might be worth looking into. What's it called? Uh, Putt Shack. He's going to pull oh, he's it up. pulling it up. Mm-hmm. So we just went. so is it a, mini, a miniature golf place? It's a, a mini a miniature golf place. Um, they have like two bars, four miniature golf courses. It's right next to uh, Pins Mechanical in the Gulch. <laughs> oh, see, I, I don't I don't go in the Gulch. Yeah, unless uh, it's everything's all blurred out. Unless it's like the uh, Station Inn before the Gulch. That was all that was there. I heard it was just hookers and train tracks and the station in. Yeah. No, the hookers were always on Dickerson Pike. <laughs> but yeah, let's see if we can find some other. Yeah, other one of my pictures. earlier trips, we would always stay at Dickerson Pike. They go, why are you staying out there? I go, well, it's cheap and the hotel's not bad. But it kept getting worse. And I remember going in the middle of the night. I was still smoking in those days. I went to get a pack of cigarettes from a gas station. This girl comes up to me. She's no makeup on, stringy hair, a little brown dress. Just She looked terrible. She said, yeah, I want some company. Like, <laughs> you know, I, I'm kind of lonely. I would like to talk. Can we just talk? <laughs> There's some guy sitting in this little car with a Visqueen. You know what a Visqueen is? You no. know, it's the plastic you put over your window when your window's broken. That's, oh, that's yeah. what a Visqueen is. <laughs> it's all duct tape on there. I go, that's your pimp? Hey, boy, times are tough down yeah, here in Dickerson you, Pike. You, you must not yeah. get a lot of money. The first, <laughs> uh, like right before I moved to Nashville, I came out on here on a solo trip. And I stayed at a uh, super, the Super 8 that's on Dickerson. The one that's like right off Briley Parkway, if you know where I'm talking about. Of course, yeah. Yeah. Um, and I was so scared because uh, it was all cracked out, but it was the only place that I could afford. And I had a job interview here. And I was trying to move here because I really wanted to fucking move here. I wanted to, to just be able to play music. Yeah, this is a place. So Super Neon. It's like a, a casino. Yeah, they have a great, uh, great food as well. Um, all sorts of cool drinks. Uh, our friend Rachel was there with us, and she got some drink. I can't remember what the name of it was, but it was it was something from Breaking Bad. It was yeah, like, it was like Breaking... something. It was like blue because of like the blue meth or something. From yeah, Breaking so it, Bad. it came in this box, and you open it up, and it smokes, and it had like a blue popsicle. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it was it was super fancy. We had a great time. Uh, so shout out to, to Putt Shack. They're, they're opening up here on Black Friday, actually. But this place is probably going to do very... That's yeah, the 23rd. You know, strangely, that Wednesday of Thanksgiving in Nashville is traditionally like the worst night in town. Did you know that? No. It's the biggest party night in the rest of America. Because everybody goes home. Everybody's got the next day off, and they just sort of lose it. I, yeah. I used to. I don't, yeah. I don't do those things anymore. But... It's also the number one, uh, this is what I know from a long time ago, so it may not still be true, but it was the number one night for drunk driving arrests. Oh, it's shit. It's not that way here. So Black Friday is a good day. Great, because I, um, I am playing that night at, at the Star Rover. Do you know that room? No. That's in Germantown. It's cool. Okay. Great sound, great tacos. The Star Rover Sound is the name of the place. And we've been bringing the surf act in there. This is going to be the Chris Casella Trio Act, which is very similar. So that's where I'm doubling on the on the steel. So I'm playing guitar, steel, and I'm singing. Oh, shit. Yeah, okay. I play double that's neck cool. uh, fenders and and nationals from the 50s. If you, I mean, if you really want to go into nerd land, I collect those things, too. Oh, wow. This is, looks like a really cool place. 
You looking up the what Star Rover? Yeah. Oh, it's nice. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't even know this was in Germantown. I didn't know there was like a venue like that they, in Germantown. You know, again, good guarantees if you want to try to get in there. And they 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 said to me on the phone, you know, don't play any hits. You know, we want B sides and stuff. <laughs> really? We hell they're yeah. trying to be cool. So that we brought oh, the wow. same we brought the same act you saw down there for two, for two times in a row. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, yeah we brought the Eddie. A. Well, I I think you might have saw the guitar party. I think so, yeah. Okay, so here are the acts. Since Eddie produced my record, we do the same guys, but we do we lean more into my record, which is Surf, too, and we do some of Eddie's songs, and we call that Surf and Hayride Show, Chris Cassell. And then we do Eddie Angel's Guitar Party, but he yeah. also has the Straight Jackets, which are doing with Nick Lowe right now. Mm-hmm. So that's sort of a higher-end thing. And then there's the Chris Cassell Trio, which does shows Ed Roberts and the Four Seasons. <laughs> And the Star Rover. So there's these different acts, and they're all almost the same thing. But with the Chris Cassell thing, there's there's vocals and more rockabilly. Nice. And steel guitar. Very cool. Yeah, I try to explain this stuff, and it's, you know, you're going to get a good show no matter which act you decide to go to. But, yeah, Star Rover uh, on the 24th, I think that would be, right, Black Friday? I think you're right. 23rd. 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 Oh, well, then it's twenty. It's the 24th. Because so. the 22nd is Thursday, I believe. Yeah, okay, so I'm playing there the 24th. It's not Black Friday. It's White, for, white Saturday. <laughs> <laughs> oh, um, wait, no, sorry. You were right, actually. 23rd is Thanksgiving. I had it mixed up. Okay, I was right, which is so rare. That was I my mistake. Sorry about that. You know yeah. what? That's called accountability. What's yeah. great about <laughs> Danny, he always owns whenever he's wrong. That's great. It makes it very easy to work with him. Do you think the world would be better if people apologized and admitted when they were wrong? I, I Do you think, think it'd so. Be a better world? Absolutely. I will say Danny's not wrong very often, though. <laughs> he's usually right about everything he says. I could have sworn. So, wait. You know what confused me, though? The reason I said that is because I'm pretty sure a second ago it said that. Because they said Black Friday for Putt Shack last night, right? Yeah. I swear I just saw t- the 23rd is when that's they opened. That's Thanksgiving. So that's why that confused me. Well, yeah. I, you know, I, this is sort of like a. They, they, we had a thing there on the 8th. December and they canceled it and then they switched it. They actually switched it to an earlier date as well as a later date. Mm-hmm. So it's off yeah. the top right of my here. head and it's brand new. I even started promoting it. So thank you for letting me promote this, but it won't oh, even the show won't even be out by then, will it? Um yeah. it might be. We haven't talked we have a one or two episodes banked right now and I gotta choose which Okay, one well you out. can just edit this part out. <laughs> yeah. Hey, you know what? I'm cool with putting it out. <laughs> this okay. is what I'm blaming we it well, on. We'll be back there with the um, Chris Casello and Eddie Angel show on uh, February second as well at the Star okay. Star Rover in Nashville. Very cool. And what else do I need to plug? Uh, the thirteenth of January is back at the bowling alley. Nice. Yep. Hell yeah. Well, I yeah. think that and then every Tuesday and Sunday at Roberts, which is free four hour no break gig. Yeah. Oh yeah. Absolutely. Watch oh, Do old you know guys have to rush to the bathroom. About the uh the studio that used to be on Dickerson Pike. Do you know the one I'm talking about? That James Star Brown. Day. Yeah. Yeah. It's not there anymore. I don't know if you It's s- gone. Yeah. It's it's knocked down. Yeah. Uh Mo Little owned it. He was a uh, you know, the early pioneers of the music a lot of the stuff i thought was recorded there was actually i think in texas is where star day was originally like the george jones record yeah so. so star day is famous for rockabilly and it's famous for bluegrass james brown was on king and star day merged with king mm-hmm. which also had a lot of rockabilly artists so you get the the kid country and the r&b you put it together and what do you get you get rock and roll so James Brown came. He cut. He cut Sex Machine there. Yeah, yeah. It's you know? so crazy. And he painted to think it about brown. It. Yeah, I love it. I just love that. And they didn't care. They yeah. didn't care. And I can't. I guess there there might be some sketchy past things that they didn't. Oh, there it is. Here's an old picture of it. Look yeah. at the yeah. storefront. My friend Scott McEwen, who owned um, a studio, he's in Memphis now with a Memphis Magnetic Recording. The home of the uh, He's doing really good. He did Elvis's last record, J.D. McPherson's Christmas Records. So it's an incredible studio. It looks a little bit like that. But he tried to buy it, and he was going to have the storefront, and Mo Little put the kibosh on it. Um, is that him? Uh, that's Tommy oh, Hill. Oh, that's Tommy, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they, they still had clothes in there. and 
it was so in such bad shape. But every now and then I would I would go out there and walk around in the bushes, you know, in the I would briars always... and the poison ivy and the buckthorn, which I think buckthorn would be a great name for a country singer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. <laughs> um, yeah, whenever I drove by it, it was sad. That's what how I was used to yeah, always seeing I, it. I know that, that picture. The, yeah. Um, and they just tore right it down there. and built kind of, what a landmark. What a historical landmark. Well, it's such an important part, I feel like, of Nashville's music history. Exactly. For, for the fact yeah. that Sex Machine alone was recorded there, you know? Man. So these are more modern photos? So, yeah, yeah it was more of the, the, the 70s, I think. sixties, Late 60s and 70s Stardate stuff. Stardate King. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there it is. It says right there, Stardate King. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I drove by there recently. I, I was sad to uh, to see it gone oh damn there's james brown that's in cincinnati yeah it was it was cool so but it turned out my friend scott wasn't the only person who had a vision of i mean that would have been a a major tourist stop especially the europeans absolutely if it wasn't for the europeans a lot of us guys wouldn't have careers they really brought back the music we dug the english particularly really oh yeah that's Where's your favorite place to go, like, around the world internationally where, to tour? Where I played? I like Spain. Really? Yeah, I've been there in a while, but I was going there quite a bit. One year I went six times. Oh, shit, okay. Yeah, a couple of them were, El- well, one of them was an Elvis tour. I'd rather not get into that that Elvis stuff. But once somebody finds out that you can play that stuff, you can get all these ETA gigs. Um that's Elvis tribute artist. You don't say impersonator. They get really offended. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Poland at a press conference. With, well, what it was, guys who played with Elvis, and then, you know, they have a tribute artist. So it was sort of like the B-list Elvis tour. Mm-hmm. So I got to play with some really legendary people. I mean, it was cool. You know, theaters and stuff. Yeah. What did you like about Spain? Well, I'd like to say the food. It's the best food and the worst food. And the weirdest. I shouldn't say the worst. It's really weird, but it's the audiences. And the diversity and the, uh, the ge- geologic, geographic diversity. In one moment, you feel like, well, I'm in a Clint Eastwood movie. It looks like they shot totally. them there. Yeah. yeah. Almost like Mexico. And then the next minute, you're in a Spanish or in a medieval village that's all stones and castles. And that's the crowds badass. showed up everywhere. And they want crazy ass. They love, I mean, this little straight jackets tour there all the time mm-hmm. and the guy you heard playing drums had best drummer in spain two years in a row jimmy lester you got that jimmy little jimmy anyway yeah so they want it wild they want guys that play this stuff and they they it's you know they're under fascist rule for a long time they have are experiencing freedom and they're going for it in my opinion full on so that's just one of my favorite places nice um, i'd like to say england but it's it's not quite as fun. Have you been to Japan? No. Yeah. I've been to, I toured Australia. That's close. <laughs> what was Australia like? Like here. Really? It's more like here than England or, you know, Europe. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. yeah the food is big. Uh, you drive on the wrong side of the road and you see a lot of dead kangaroos like you do dead deer. And Interesting. You and I, being from northern parts, we can see a yeah. lot more deer that are... Um, Audience is actually quite good in Australia too. I, I did enjoy it. That's cool. Yeah, but it was it was a hot, sort of a high end tour there. So. Yeah, I've never gotten to travel abroad, but I'd love to. I would say probably the number one spot on my list, probably Cuba, and then a close second would be Japan. Uh, yeah, well, I, I want to see Cuba, but Japan's really high on my list. Yeah, well, yeah. the kind of music that you play. Very popular in Japan. Oh, yeah, yeah. man. I, I had a Japanese student. He barely could speak English, and I just put out a record, uh, 45. This is like 90s. And I, I said, well, I don't know if you know what this is. Don't look at me. I go, you're Japanese. You might understand that. Go, it's kind of like, sounds like the Ventures. Like, oh, Ventures! <laughs> yeah. Well, it's... There's, <laughs> he was so excited. Yeah. There's, um, there's a great record, like live record from the Ventures that... Uh, I think is they cut it live in Japan. Oh um, yeah, yeah. And there's a lot of video yeah. footage. Just terrific performances. Yeah, they were so great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. they were fantastic. 
Uh, so for your new record, do you what? Do you cut everything in overdubs, or do you do everything live in the room? Both. Yeah, the, sort of like the Nashville ways to go in and cut rhythm or drums track, and bass, uh, tracking yeah. they call that, mm -hmm. and then you come back and fix it. So we went in and. Um, had a few songs that I wrote and a couple Eddie had written, found other records that he thought fit. And then we um, didn't rehearse it or anything. I just did demos with me playing all the instruments and then handed them out. And yeah, we played it. And I went back, fixed some guitar parts or put in some harmonies or we had some other ideas. But yeah, like we have backup singing. Um, there's That's an old trick for instrumental records. You have the, something else playing the melody. But you could leave the backup singers in there. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's fun. And what else did we put in? Um, oh, we, we, we needed some whistling on a cl very Clint Eastwood um, version yeah. of a certain tune. I, I can't let this stuff out of the bag. It's, I'm going to be selling dozens of these. You know, I don't want anybody stealing my idea. Well, the first <laughs> the first single is Classical Gas. Well, that's not part of that record. Oh, no. okay. That, that okay. was part of some sessions I did in Chicago. And I thought... It's taken so long. Well, High Tide was was interested in the record, and so was another label. And it was just taking too long. I finally got frustrated and went, went with my friends. At, at, they're called Swell Tune out of Boston. So that's what we did. But it was, I said, i got to put something out. Yeah. And that had been sitting around. What did you think of that track? I loved it. Yeah, it's great. I, I was listening to it on the way over here. Um, yeah, I like uh, – I don't know what the effect is that you're using on the guitar, but – at a certain point, everything kind of cuts out, and it's just you playing. But, yeah, I I, I really uh, I think it's badass. I would love to put it at the end of this episode. Yeah, right. we must be getting near the end. Yeah, right? yeah, we're getting near near the end. So do you have anything else that you want to plug? Well, I think I, I said quite a few shows there. But, you know, Chris Casello's on all those things. Um, I have a completely non-updated website. But, look, you know, look on the Facebook for the trio. Um, Instagram, all Chris Casello. You, know, you got to find me. I'm a working musician. Um, so we've got the um, Star Rover coming up. That might be a little too late. But we also have that in February on 2-2. All Nashville dates right now. Nice. Uh, yeah. And I figure once the record's out, we'll probably go on the road. Maybe a Detroit Christmas show. That's a tradition. I just got a call about that, but it's not for sure. Okay. Well, and, uh, aside from that, we got the Roberts, Sundays and Tuesdays. You can come see that act. Yeah, and I would love to. the 13th of January at the Bowling Alley. Yeah. This all started with our relationship at yes, the Bowling Alley. Yes, yes, Now we absolutely. have a relationship. Well, Chris, thank you so much for coming on. <laughs> I sure appreciate it. I yeah. love doing these things. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks Keep... for what you do. Thank you. I appreciate that. I'm very lucky to do it. Keep on dreaming. See you next week.
Oh, 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 oh,